if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is David. I'm not the, uh, the normal guy up here, but uh, I'm on staff here, and I get the privilege and the honor of uh, continuing our series called The Way of Jesus. And we're actually in week nine this week. And what we're doing is in this series, we're going through the book of Mark and looking at different instances in Jesus's life uh, with the purpose of trying to get to know the real Jesus. And the reason we're doing this is because as humans, uh, we have a tendency to uh, just take Jesus and basically create him in basically our own image. We try to basically edit Jesus down to be more like us, to like the things we like, to hate the things we hate. And uh, the nice thing about following that kind of Jesus is he's never going to make you uncomfortable and he's never going to challenge you. Uh, The bad thing about following that kind of Jesus is the fact that he cannot help you in any way, shape, or form, and he will never change you in the way that you need to be changed because he isn't real. So that's why we're doing this series, and this week uh, we are in uh, chapter 7, and we get to see, really we get to look at an interaction between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, some of the religious leaders called the Pharisees. And uh, in this passage, uh, we get to see Jesus, um, like he so often does, making basically everyone around him uncomfortable and (laughs) uh, challenging them. It's not the most friendly conversation. It's an argument surrounding uh, the Jewish purity laws, which um, if you hear that today and you think like, oh good, I can just tune out. Those don't apply to me. Um, I would ask you to lean in because I think what we'll see as we go through this passage today is that we really aren't as different as we think we are uh, from the Pharisees. That might sound weird, but what we're going to see as we go through this <clears throat> is that we have the same problem that they had and we played the same games that they played. Um, so I'm going to be in Mark chapter 7 <clears throat> and I'm going to read us verses 1 through 23. <clears throat> It says, the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, that being Jesus. They observed that some of his disciples were eating their bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For the Pharisees, in fact, all the Jews will not eat unless they wash their hands ritually, uh, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they have washed. And there are many other customs they have received and keep, like uh, like the washing of cups, jugs, copper utensils, and dining couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating bread with ritually unclean hands? He answered them, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. That's a nice way to start a conversation there. Uh, As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Disregarding the command of God, you keep the tradition of men. He also said to them, you completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift committed to the temple. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You revoke God's word by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many other similar things. Summoning the crowd again, he told them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile them, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. If anyone has ears to hear, you should listen. When he went into the house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Are you also as lacking in understanding? Don't you realize that nothing going into a man from the outside can defile him? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into the stomach and is eliminated. As a result, he made all foods clean. Then he said, what comes out of a person, that defiles him. 
For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. This is God's word. So if you're anything like me, there's a, uh, a trick you can do when you read passages like this. I'll just let you into my life. So when we're talking about we have these methods of creating Jesus in our image, a way to basically sidestep all those hard words of Jesus is to do this. When I read those stories, it's so easy for me to put myself into the story, kind of right next to Jesus or maybe slightly behind him, you know, kind of looking at the Pharisees like, stop being so self-righteous, you bums. You know, like looking at the Pharisees kind of beside Jesus. And and what that does is it, it really allows us, if we do that, to read really hard passages like this and pretend like they don't apply to us. But if we're going to read this passage correctly, I think what we have to do is actually put, our shoes, or put ourselves in the shoes of the Pharisee and realize that Jesus is actually speaking to us. These words are for us today. And this is uh, so important because here in this passage, Jesus really kind of reveals this revolutionary principle. And it's, uh, it sounds pretty simple the way he puts it, but what Jesus lays out for us is that um, your biggest problem, the biggest problem that humans have doesn't come from outside sources It actually comes from our own unclean hearts. That is a hard word to hear. But that's what Jesus is laying out for us here. And it sounds simple, the way his logic, he just used simple logic. He says, hey, for example, what you eat doesn't go into your heart. And he's talking about the core of your being, you know, your your identity, the the center of your thoughts and emotions, your will. What you eat doesn't go into your identity. It goes into your stomach and is eliminated. Sounds simple. But I would argue that this is anything but common sense. Because almost nobody lives as though this reality is true. So what we're going to do is just kind of go through this passage uh, little by little and look at um, a couple of things. So because Jesus says the biggest issue we have is an unclean heart, we're going to look at, number one, what it means to be unclean. Secondly, we'll look at the different ways that we try to clean ourselves. And then lastly, we'll look at the only way to be made clean. So the first thing we're going to hit on is what it means to be unclean. And I'm aware that, you know, we all live in 2023, we're here in America, so there's probably a lot of us who aren't intimately familiar with the Jewish purity laws and what the argument surrounds in this, in this passage. So just to help us understand the passage um, and more fully, I want to spend just a brief minute kind of giving an overview of what those were. So in the Old Testament, you have the Mosaic purity laws, and really there you see a list of things that if they applied to you would mean that you were unclean and you couldn't participate in temple worship or with the community. So that, those lists would be things like if you had an infectious skin disease of any type, or if you had certain types of bodily discharge, or if you'd come in touch with something that was dead, if you'd actually touched something that was dead, if you came in contact with mildew, if you um, ate certain foods that were considered unclean, any of those things, if they applied to you, would mean that you were unclean and you couldn't participate in temple worship or be a part of the community until you went through the purification process. So those can obviously sound very foreign to us, um, because they really are foreign to us. They're from a different time, from a different place. But if we understand what they were for, kind of what their purpose was, it'll actually help us understand this passage a lot more fully. So these weren't just arbitrary habits that God decided to force his people to do. All of these purity laws actually pointed to a deeper reality. And it's actually the same reality that Jesus is describing in this passage. They were physical reminders of a separation 
that takes place. If you're physically unclean, you're separated from the community, separated from the presence of God in the temple. They were physical reminders of a spiritual reality that exists in all of us, which is that the uncleanliness of our hearts makes us unable to be in the presence of God, unless some form of deep purification takes place. So the question is obviously, well, why does this matter for us today? And the reason it matters for us today is because we have the exact same problem. Just because we don't have all the physical reminders of it doesn't mean that this same sense that I would argue, I think we're all aware of on some level, we have this sense of uncleanliness in us, a sense that we just don't measure up or there's something to fix, there's something wrong, we're not sure what it is, we can't really name it. I would argue this is us recognizing this same issue. And to kind of further this point, I'm going to talk about Tom Brady. So uh, some of you probably have heard of Tom Brady. <laughs> he is the probably most, one of the most celebrated athletes of all time. And in 2005, he did an interview in 60 Minutes, which 2005, I don't know if you have realized this, I recognize this this week, that was 18 years ago. That means that if you were born in 2005, you're an adult this year. <laughs> like, that just makes me feel so old. Like, I'm at that point now where things make me feel old, and that was one of them. Um, so anyways, in this interview, <clears throat> they're talking about, at one point, they're talking about kind of the realities of celebrity life in Tom Brady's life. And you can tell he's not really a fan of that life as they're, as they're discussing it. And the, interview, the interviewer kind of points out at one point that Tom Brady has just been named the most eligible bachelor in America, um, which this was 2005. I think he looks better now, so I don't know what Tom is drinking, but it's working. Um, Anyways, his response, we're not talking about how good-looking Tom Brady is. That's not the purpose of today. <clears throat> uh, what Tom, Tom Brady's response to this, that he's the most eligible bachelor in America, he said, well, it's very flattering. But at the same time, I don't think I sleep any better at night being that. And then later in the same interview, or, uh, in this, in the, same interview the interviewer kind of does a voiceover and says, he surprised us again later when he said this. And Tom Brady says, why do I have three Super Bowl rings? and still think there's something greater out there for me. Maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, I've reached my goal, my dream, but me, I think there's got to be more than this. And the interviewer then asked him, well, well what's the answer? And, and Tom Brady responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. So notice he said he only won three Super Bowl rings. Since then, he's won four more. He's actually continued to be you know, one of the best athletes and just retired for the second time. If you followed him at all, Tom Brady is still striving, still trying to be the best. He's now trying to be the best sports commentator. That's kind of his next, next target. And there's nothing wrong with hard work or trying to do your best. But I think we have to ask the question, why can't a guy like Tom Brady sleep at night? If any of us should be able to rest in our accomplishments or to feel good about ourselves or feel complete based on what we've done, it would be Tom Brady, but he doesn't feel that way. Now, if we lived in a more traditional culture, you could maybe say, well, hey, you know, he's had expectations kind of like levied on him by, the, by his family or by religion, you know, the, the church and the state, you know, or by society. They've all put these expectations on him. That's why he feels that way. But we don't live in a traditional culture. We live in a modern culture that, that says no one can put expectations on you. You make the rules. You decide what's right and wrong. <clears throat> and if that's the case, why does Tom Brady still feel this way? And why do you and I, if we get really honest, why do we have this sense in us that something's wrong? And I would say that the, the reason for that, and God's word would say, is that there's, there's an inescapable reality about our design. We were designed by God to be in relationship with God. And ever since sin first entered the world back in Genesis 3, it's done nothing but separate. It's done nothing but break relationships. It broke our relationship with creation. 
broke our relationship with each other, breaks our relationship with ourselves, and ultimately, and most importantly, it broke our relationship with God. And we will never, we will never feel complete, we will never find rest, we will never find satisfaction until this relationship with our Creator is restored, is brought back together. But maybe when you hear that idea, you know, you kind of think, uh, well, hey, I'm, I don't really let people put those expectations on me. I actually don't feel this way. I don't think anything's wrong with me. Maybe that's your response when you hear me kind of going through this, talking about being unclean or separation from God or talking about sin. <clears throat> but I would just want to press a little bit here and first point out that when Jesus is, is bringing out these hard words, when the real Jesus says things we don't like to hear, it's not because he's a bully. It's not because he's trying to make you feel bad about yourself. It's because he's a doctor and he's pointing out what is wrong, what the real problem is. And I just don't think it's as simple as us being able to say, hey, I, just, I don't feel that way. There's nothing wrong with me. Because I would just ask a few questions as far as recognizing some of the symptoms. If nothing's wrong, if nothing's wrong with us, then why can't we put our work down and rest and relax, even once we've reached the goals that we had set for ourselves in the past? Why can't we rest? Why, why do we care so deeply about controlling what people do and don't know about us? Why does criticism crush us as much as it does? All of, why do we care? Why, do we, why are we crushed if our kids don't turn out exactly how they needed to turn out? Why do we care about so much how we care so much about how we look? Why do we distract ourselves with social media and TV shows and video games? Why are all these things the case? Because they're not coming from a place in us of deep security. They're coming from us recognizing this reality that there's something wrong inside of us. And Jesus, the great physician, would say, "Hey, it's not." something that's coming from outside of you. It's, it's your own unclean heart. That's the issue here. And this reality, I think, is important for us to know. I think it's something that if we really get honest and do some self-reflection, we'll recognize it's there to some degree. But just knowing that doesn't fix the problem. Because you could be somebody who you're, you're really good at getting, being down on yourself and being discouraged. And this kind of thing could just lead you into more, you know, could lead you into self-loathing, just hearing, oh, well, I already knew something was wrong. And now Jesus is piling on. So just knowing this problem doesn't fix it. And also, the, the Pharisees, they knew this information. They had it all. And what it did for them, it didn't humble them. They just tried to fix it themselves. And they ended up becoming, kind of creating their own self-cleaning techniques and becoming extremely self-righteous, having a false sense of security and judging others because of it. So just knowing there's a problem doesn't fix it. So that's what we're going to look at next. We're going to look at the, the way that we are just like the Pharisees in that we can take a problem that's a real problem, and just try to handle it ourselves. And it's, uh, number two is going to be the main idea. The second main idea we'll look at is the ways that we try to clean ourselves. <clears throat> so the event that, that kicked off this whole exchange between Jesus and the Pharisees was when the Pharisees basically accused Jesus' disciples of eating with, with unwashed hands. And I don't know if you noticed, when they, when they brought their question to him, they said, um, why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders? And what's important to note is the tradition of the elders or the traditions of the elders were not the same thing as the scriptures, not the same thing as the Bible. So what had happened is through through time, the Jews had basically created laws or rules. They would take one of God's laws and they would create rules around it. And eventually it became known as a fence around the Torah, which the Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament. So they had this fence around the Torah so that if we have all these other rules, we're not going to break the real one, was kind of the thought process there behind it. Some examples of this would be uh, things like the, the laws around the, the Sabbath day, keeping the Sabbath day. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Another example of that is the hand-washing thing that came up in this conversation. Because if you look at the Old Testament, 
there is a rule, there is a law of God about the, the priest in the temple washing his hands in this way. But there's not a rule that applies to everybody. It's not how it is now in the, in the traditions of the elders. Everyone does it, everyone in their homes. So what you have here is basically a group of people who apparently care so much about God's law that they would set up a whole barrier around it so they would never break it. So what you would expect is for Jesus to commend their devotion or perhaps correct his disciples. But that is not what Jesus said. (laughs) I'm going to read what Jesus said again. If you look at verse 6, as soon as they ask this question, Jesus wastes no time turning it into an argument. Here's what he says. Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. Did not answer their question. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Disregarding the command of God, you keep the tradition of men. He also said to them, you completely invalidate God's command in order to maintain your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift committed to the temple. You no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. You revoke God's word by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many other similar things. So I don't know if you see the issue here, but what had happened, you can tell by the way the Pharisees are kind of calling out the disciples, is that they had created these rules, and they had thought they had solved their uncleanness problem. They thought that they were now acceptable to God because they did all these things. They have a fence around God's law. But Jesus points out, not only are those insufficient, not only are your cleaning techniques insufficient, they've actually led to you breaking the actual rule of God. You've actually broken the law of God in favor of your own. So what they've done, which if you haven't seen how we can relate to the Pharisees, this should do it for us. What they've done is they've taken God's law, they've edited it down into something that was more attainable to them, that made them feel good about themselves. In other words, they made their own rules so that they could feel like good people. And that is something that we still do to this day. We just do it in different ways. It just looks different. So for you and I, our self-cleaning techniques uh, would be anything that you do in order to feel like a good person. So I'll just say that again. Your self-cleaning techniques, my self-cleaning techniques, it's anything you do in order to feel like a good person. So whenever I first uh, became a small group leader here at, at Severn, we got a book. Uh, this was back six years ago before I was on staff. We got a book called A Meal with Jesus. And it was written by a pastor from, from the UK. His name was Tim Chester. And he's actually talking about this exact uh, same thing. He he doesn't call it self-cleaning techniques. He calls it our techniques for self-salvation. And he has a quote that really just kind of nails us all to the wall. I just want to read this for us and, um, and just share. He's basically saying the same thing that we're saying here. He says, every version of salvation involves a principle, a rule, a law. If If your idea of salvation is to have friends accept you, then your first commandment will be, thou shalt not be uncool. And and uncool people must be avoided at all costs. If your idea of salvation is a beautiful home, then your prophet will be Martha Stewart. Your rule will be antique pine, tiled floors, and distressed paint. Or maybe clean lines, white walls, and no clutter. Your first commandment will be, thou shalt not be untidy. If other people don't measure up, then we despise or avoid them. Yet, like the Pharisees, we need them so we can feel good about ourselves. And if we don't measure up, then our God turns on us and condemns us. Life is seen as a race, and you're a loser if you're not successful, wealthy, or attractive. 
if you want to be admired by blokes, which again, he's from the UK, so he says blokes. He says, if you want to be admired by blokes, but you're not blokey enough, which I don't know if that's an appropriate way to use that word, uh, then you're condemned. Even on a good day, you'll worry what others think of you. If you want security and prosperity and you lose your job, then you're condemned. Even when you have a job, you'll be anxious, over busy, and unable to say no. So just like the Pharisees, I would argue we, we all recognize there's a problem in us. We just compensate for it in different ways. Kind of like what he was walking through. We can do that through our work. Hey, I'm a good person because I work hard. We can do that through our family. Hey, I'm a good person because look how my family's doing. Look how my kids turned out. We can do that through being open-minded. Like, hey, I'm just very open-minded. So we can do this in so many different ways. But all of our self-cleaning techniques, they have two things in common. Number one, they will lead us into self-righteousness. As we look down on other people who don't work as hard or whose families are falling apart or who aren't as open-minded as us or whatever example you want to use, we, it will lead us into self-righteousness just like it did the Pharisees. But also, number two, they don't work. They will never deliver the satisfaction, the peace, the completeness that we think that we'll get from our own cleaning techniques. They'll never deliver that. And Jesus actually explains exactly why our own techniques will never work whenever he reveals that principle he gets into in verses 15 and in verses 20 through 23, which I'll read those again real quick. In verse 15, Jesus said, nothing that goes out of you, or sorry, nothing that goes into a person from outside can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And then in verse 20 through 23, he says, what comes out of a person, that defiles him. For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, promiscuity, stinginess, blasphemy, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a person. So Jesus makes it crystal clear, again, that the reason that our techniques are never going to work is because it's our heart that's the problem. And it doesn't take a doctor to tell you that if you have heart disease, no matter how well you wash your hands every day, that won't solve the problem. You know, that's what he's getting at. He's like, that's not going to work. So what we're going to look at next is, well, what's the solution? You know, what do we do then? If we can't do this on our own, what do we do? And that's what we'll look at last. We're going to look at the only way to be made clean. And at first glance, if when we read through that passage, you may have noticed this, it doesn't really look like Jesus gives us a solution in this passage. It kind of looks like, uh, hey, come back next week. Here's your greatest problem. It's your own heart. I'll talk to you later and solve the problem for you later. But actually, um, I'm very grateful for people way smarter than me, other pastors, people who write commentaries, because there is a solution in this passage. I hadn't seen it, but uh, studying this this past week, um, I noticed this because other people told me about it. So I'm really grateful for other people. Um, but uh, as far as verse 19 is where we see a solution to this problem that we, that's been presented to us. In verse 19, after Jesus talks about how, you know, what we eat, what comes from the outside, doesn't, it doesn't hit our identity. It just goes right to our stomach. After that, there's a little parenthesis. And in verse 19, it says, as a result, he made all foods clean. So there you go. There's your answer. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, no, so that's not a small statement. <clears throat> so when it says, as a result, he made all foods, foods clean, what that looks like is that Jesus just did what he rebuked the Pharisees for. Because if you remember, he rebuked them pretty severely for changing God's law. And the, the laws around food, the dietary laws about what clean and unclean food, those were not traditions of the elders. Those were the Bible. And Jesus just made all foods clean. 
So it looks like he just did what they got in trouble for. So what's going on here? Um, In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 5, we actually get an answer to this question. So in Matthew 5, chapter, uh, verse 17, Jesus says this about himself. He says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. So he's saying, I didn't come to change or abolish or destroy the law. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So what's going on here is Jesus is not changing God's law. He came to fulfill God's law. And maybe you think, well, what's the difference? How did he do that? Jesus did that by first living a completely clean life, completely spotless, did not break God's law in a single point. And then he fulfilled the law on our behalf by taking on all of our uncleanness onto himself. Jesus was not just an example for us about, here's how you follow the law. Just look at Jesus. That's not what Jesus was. He was a substitute for us by taking all of our uncleanness on himself, being separated from God the Father on our behalf, taking all of that defilement on himself and then dying in our place and fulfilling the requirement of the law on our behalf. That's how Jesus fulfilled the law. And what this does for us, when we recognize this, it takes something that really, it takes, you know, the justice of God and the law of God, something that really kind of should instill in us a sense of fear or falling short, especially outside of Jesus. It should kind of leave us kind of scared when you think about God's justice and God's law. But it takes that justice, it takes that law, and turns it, Jesus turns it from a source of fear into a source of confidence. And the way he does that is by fulfilling the law. What Jesus has done is he's paid the price for our crime, if you want to call it that. He's paid the price. He's made us clean. And because God is just, he will never demand payment for the same crime twice. So now God's law and God's justice becomes a means by which, like Hebrews 10 says, we can boldly come into God's presence because of the blood of Jesus, with boldness, because we're made clean, because the law is fulfilled on our behalf. And not only that, but later in that exact same passage in Hebrews 10, it talks about how our hearts have been sprinkled clean, which means that Jesus presents our greatest problem to us here, but he also solves it for us. It's through the blood of Jesus. It's the only way. We can try a million other ways. The only way that our hearts will ever be made clean is through that, through the blood of Jesus, through him fulfilling the law on our behalf. And I'm going to close for us today. I'm going to call up the worship team, and I want to um, close for us just by giving us two takeaways, two things for us just to kind of take home with us. And the first one is because Jesus makes our hearts clean, we can stop asking everything else to. So what that means is if you've put your trust in Jesus, if he's made your heart clean, then your career can just be your career. And you can be really good at it. You can work really hard at it, but it doesn't own you. And your value, your self-worth doesn't go up and down with how work is going. And whenever you've you've put your faith in Jesus, your family can just be your family. You don't have to crush your kids because you're, you know, putting all your worth in how they turn out. You can actually unconditionally love your kids whenever you understand this. And you can stop being afraid of being accepted by other people because you know you're already accepted by God. You've been made clean and had nothing to do with you. And and secondly, because Jesus makes our hearts clean, our hands should follow. Jesus was all about inside-out change. And what this means is that just like in this passage you read about all this evil coming out of our hearts in its natural state, when Jesus makes our hearts clean, it should start to be good that's flowing out from the inside, flowing out. 
And this isn't some 100% change on day one. You know, I've never done anything wrong since I put my faith in Jesus. It's not that. It's, it's a journey. It's a, it's a discipleship process. It's following Jesus through your lifetime. But this is a journey we can then embark on with, with boldness and with confidence because it doesn't depend on our sufficiency. It doesn't depend on how good we are. It never did. It depends on Jesus's, and he is always sufficient. So today, um, you see the tables up here, we get to celebrate communion. And I actually think that's pretty fitting for the passage we're in because we're talking today about the physical reminders that the, the people of Israel had, reminders of their separation from God. We have physical reminders still today in the church. They're just reminders of our Savior and the reminders of the closeness we can have with God if we put our faith in Jesus. So we're going to come up here to, during the last song. You can grab the bread, grab the juice. You can take it back to your seat. Don't take it yet. We'll do it all together at the end when I come back up. But I would just ask you, as you're listening to this last song, to spend some time reflecting, spend some time in prayer, and just come before God and, and repent for all the ways in which you've tried to make yourself clean, all the ways in which you've tried to take this problem that you can't solve and tried to solve it, and all the ways it's led you to look down on others who aren't as good at whatever rules you've made up. And secondly, I would just say, you can ask God to give you a clean heart. I'll read that to us out of Psalms, but that's a prayer that we can pray. God, give me a clean heart. And because of Jesus, he will, and he can. So let's take communion together. You can come up again, grab the bread, grab the juice, and I'll come back up here. We'll take it together after this last song. So before we take communion, I just wanted to read us <clears throat> three verses out of Psalm 51. And this is David praying to God. He says, God, create a clean heart for me. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Let's take communion together. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we, uh, we need your help so desperately. Uh, we could never, never solve the, the deepest problems we have. We can't solve them without you. Uh, we know that we can have a clean heart through you and in you. We know, we know that you can give us clean hearts, God, and we, we just pray that you would. Pray that you would save us from all the ways we try to do things ourselves and instead that we would be able to really fully trust that you've done enough and that we can trust you in that. And uh, we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope to see you guys around.